0: For details on the program, visit Eckfeldt.com slash Thrive. That's E-C-K-F-E-L-D-T dot com slash Thrive.
2: Welcome, everyone. This is Thinking Outside the Bud. I'm Bruce Eckfeldt. I'm your host. And our guest today is Sister Rogers. She's a solution designer and public speaker, her business colleagues and clients often refer to her as business auntie, helping them figure out how they're going to structure their business, run their business better. We're going to talk about the world of cannabis. We're going to talk about the work that she does. We're going to talk about the ideas that she has and where the industry is going, how it can be better. I'm excited for this. I'm always interested in people that are working in the various sort of facets of cannabis. And certainly helping people run these businesses better is a key part of this industry at this point, really kind of helping figure out how we progress, how we grow how we scale at the business level and at the industry level, uh, excited for the conversation. So with that, Sister Rogers, welcome to the program.
3: Hello, Bruce. Thank you for hosting me and thank you for being a conduit for a meaningful cannabis conversation.
2: Yeah, well, it's my pleasure. My pleasure. It's, it's great to have you on. Let's get a little bit of the background and the, the backstory and then we can talk about the work that you're doing and, and where you see the cannabis industry going. How did you get involved? What was uh what was your uh, kind of history with cannabis? How did it become part of your business practices? Give us the give us the journey that you've been on.
3: Yeah, of course. So in the summer of 2017, I was a young youth pastor And someone suggested that I attend a cannabis networking event because I'm versatile like a Swiss army knife and I have useful transferable skills that seem to be in demand. So from there, doors quickly opened before me because the cannabis industry and the community in New York is very intimate. So I started off with a press pass at the Brick Industry Show, which is a business to business cannabis trade show. And then from there, I met product manufacturers, distributors from all over the U.S., as well as some well-known industry heavy hitters. And around February 2018, I was traveling with the mayor of Atlantic City and other New Jersey legislators and cannabis organizations to Nevada or is it Nevada? (laughs) (laughs) They're interesting about their enunciation of that. Um, But we were traveling there on a fact-finding mission and we got to see multiple examples of the cannabis supply chain, like different grow and manufacturing facilities, dispensaries. We got to ask questions of like CEOs and CFOs, growers, trimmers, anybody along the line of of just production um, and learning more about uh, Nevada's regulatory environment and how we could build the cannabis industry here on the East Coast. Then I had similar opportunities in other legal states and ended up going to conferences like Women Grow and CWCBE um, hosting for On the Revel and Essentially, all of these experiences and all the people I've met in some way or another have shaped where I am now in the industry, which is focused on cannabis policies in regards to economic opportunities, environmental impact and sustainability at the state and local level, as well as exploring bring cannabis-assisted mental health therapy to the mainstream through all the speaking opportunities I get. So like all things cannabis, sustainability and mental health excite me.
2: Yeah, interesting. And, and those are pretty big, meaty topics. I mean, I, what, I, mean, I, I guess I've, I've always found it interesting because cannabis really from its beginning has had, you know, some, some elements of, you know, both from a business and kind of a cultural point of view of sort of sustainability and having this kind of medicinal mental health aspect to it. I mean, how do you see, I guess, where do you think we are right now in terms of you know, development of the industry kind of commercialization of cannabis and and are these things being, continued to be supported? Are we doing a good job or do we, you know, have, have work to do? What's your general take on some of this stuff?
3: Ooh, <laughs> I like to say that cannabis usage is ubiquitous, but cannabis innovation isn't. And Ooh, additionally, the privatization of cannabis kills its innovation so like maybe um, perhaps until environmental conditions are a commodity themselves then the environmental impact of like let's say cannabis packaging won't truly be considered and i think we should be a lot further along in the commodity optimization of hemp past food beauty and healthcare products and into other commercial uses like biodegradable hemp plastics hemp creek and utilizing hemp cellulose fibers to make more products or to build structures. But because of regulatory environments, many companies tend to find their hands tied with how much they're allowed to do with the industrial hemp that they grow. And like even certainly back on packaging, it's an issue that every brand or business is facing, cannabis or non-cannabis related, because any type of packaging uses energy and resources. And there are other options, but they're expensive. And we haven't necessarily enabled new systems to be designed that include human and environmental externalities. Yeah. Um, so when we can, if we can get to a point of like designing new frameworks that can be adopted on organizational and governmental levels, then I think we would be at least at a starting place that I feel a lot more comfortable about. But there are a few companies who are interested in kind of like, like I say, the commodity optimization of hemp.
2: Yeah. And unpack that, that phrase for us, commodity optimization of hemp. I mean, this is applying hemp. To Because I I see two aspects of this. One is, how can the cannabis industry use more sustainable practices and packaging and products and things Mm -hmm. like that? The other one is, well, look, we've got this, you know, hemp fiber, which can replace pulp and all sorts of other things that are, you know, not so renewable, you know, but something that's highly renewable, highly energy efficient, you know, um, and but applying it to all sorts of things. I mean, we could, we could use hemp fibers to package all, you know, everything that, everything out there okay. that creates a package. So are you more okay. focused on the cannabis industry being more sustainable or applying hemp to other industries to make them more
3: sustainable? Both. I don't okay. see why it should be even be separate. And the fact that we are not selling pre-rolls and like hemp made biodegradable like packaging is confusing to me (laughs) um because it's like this the whole kind of premise of this industry has been built on people who believe in sustainability and mother earth mother gaia and all of these kind of like otherworldly seeming things and then we just quickly commercialized it and started using plastics and it's kind of like how much waste comes out of this but additionally the creations that we can use from hemp products can not only benefit the cannabis industry but can also cross over into other industries like all across well i'm not even sure if it's across the u.s but i know that here in new york we no longer use plastic bags so it's brown paper bags everywhere you go or these kind of like reusable bags that you get Mm -hmm. if we already had hemp biodegradable plastics then couldn't that have been a, a replacement that have been used right now? Yeah. So
2: why do you think that is? I mean, I'm, I'm curious kind of how the initial statement you made around, you know, when, when kind of the history of cannabis or cannabis pre-10 years ago, mm-hmm. you know, had a very strong sustainability, Mother Earth, you know, element to the culture and, and to cannabis use. And and it seems like over the last decade or so, as things have commercialized, as of uh, as uh, uh, the industry, uh, I'm I'm careful of my words here. (laughs) I don't want to say has matured or has advanced. I'm going to try to think of, has grown, has uh, become commercialized. You know, a lot of that stuff has been lost, I think, or at least is is clearly not in the forefront. I mean, is this just what happens when industries, you know, become commercialized, start using kind of traditional money sources and are under pressures of financial and otherwise, or Mm -hmm. what's kind of your... What's the story that that you've kind of uncovered or that, that you feel is really at play in the cannabis industry?
3: Really, the last part of what you said, where many of these companies have investors and these investors are asking them for a churn out, like, when is your next product coming out? Or it's kind of difficult for them to scale as well, because then a lot of them are smaller operations and having to push out even more than they were they even yeah. thought they, they should be at the, at that time. And a lot of that requires, well, hey, we don't have the time to research these things. And on top of that, like I said, because a lot of these these other systems or other alternative types of products don't exist, or for the most part, they do exist, but because people aren't using them on the mainstream, then they're very expensive. We have to cut costs. We need to be able to to yeah. come in under budget. We're already operating in the red. We're trying to get to the black so we can get to the green. So I understand it, but I don't think that that should hold up innovation in this space for example new york has had a hemp pilot for how many years now Um, and (laughs) (laughs) we should have done way more with it i believe upstate when we talk about even economic opportunities for people upstate i tend to think that there is a kind of pitting against urban cities versus rural cities And I think a lot of that can get political even, but the fact is the same. Like people need business opportunities and they need opportunities to be able to go to work. So why aren't we utilizing hemp manufacturing upstate where there are all this land and opportunity to be able to do so? And like I said, a lot of these companies have their hands tied. So they have to dispose of hemp waste that could actually be reused and recycled versus actually being able to use them or yeah. having more science labs or innovation t- innovation hubs. Yeah, I like innovation hubs. Yeah. Having innovation hubs where people are not only looking at hemp from a medicinal standpoint, but like, hey, what are other things that we can actually make out of this? Like, sky's the limit. Let's just, for shits and giggles, let's just try to make like, I don't know, a hemp house, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. and which has already been done. But like, there are other, I feel like we're not allowing people to imagine what could be made out of hemp. And like I said, that not only benefits the cannabis industry, but it benefits other industries. And I, I want to say that like the union of my interests exceeds their intersections. <laughs> and so I often find that great solutions and ideas live in and emerge out of these intersections, So my focus is always on building, forming, and shaping the future of this cannabis industry because it has an effect on housing, on transportation, on economic opportunities. And these are pillars of livable cities that my business partner, Tiana Long, speaks about. I see things as they are, and I imagine the ways that they can be better, how they can be more sustainable, more holistic, and in turn, more profitable. So the commodity optimization of hemp doesn't just... Affect The cannabis space, it can affect packaging for other industries, it can, I mean, we already know about the existence of hemp cars, hemp made cars, or even Mm -hmm. like hemp biofuel to fuel these cars, if we're, if we're still stuck on, should we use electric or not? And then we have high energy consumption levels at cultivation levels particularly with lighting water mm-hmm. usage and waste disposal and we could switch to led lighting we could practice sustainable water usage and like balancing pesticides and wastewater we could have more effective waste disposal through recycling the plant material so
2: yeah so i'm curious how much of this uh, i mean if we go back to the original you know kind of dynamic the whole investor you know investors come in and mm-hmm. it, I mean, it's not like the investors come in and say, "Start using plastic," right? I mean, they're not like yeah. demanding <laughs> that you're using, you know, unsustainable things, but they are putting. It's what's available. Well, so because they put financial pressure, right? They say, "Hey, look, like if we're going to give you this money, you have to perform at this level." And invariably, for the operators, like in order to perform at that level, you know, they have to be looking, or or you know, they choose to look at the lowest cost way of operating Mm -hmm. to get the benefit and unfortunately a lot of those low cost ways of operating are non-sustainable you know non-renewable sources for a lot of this stuff so Mm -hmm. so it it seems like either we need to get the investors to say you have to deliver these returns and you have to be sustainable like we have to put the the investors have to have to put a demand on the businesses you know such that they're operating in a sustainable way or we've got to figure out how to get Mm -hmm. these sustainable options to be you know on par or at least within striking distance that these operators can say, well, we are going to choose to be operate sustainably, you know, while still Mm -hmm. meeting these performance requirements. I mean, it's a little bit of a catch 22, but have you seen any success or do you see ways of kind of getting out of this conundrum for some of these businesses or for the investor groups?
3: Yeah, it's, it lies with the owners of the company. Um, and anything, everything lies with the owners of the company. Every time we're talking about like a company's environment or what they stand for, that comes from the top down. It's not the the workers who are creating the work culture. It's the owners who are creating the culture. They say, this is what we believe in. Here are our values and here's how we stick to them. And you know, everybody else kind of like follows suit. So I think on one end, customers are becoming a lot more educated about what goes into their body. And as you saw last year, there were lots of social justice and social equity issues that needed to be addressed. And we find that customers are now boycotting products whose values they view as contrary to their own. And so these many business owners have realized that and some haven't. And some um, realize that incorporating these smart, sustainable practices into their business will not only save them money in the long run, but it's also a resilience strategy. And I think for, on the investor side, if we can identify opportunities to develop new key performance indicators that actually engage a view of sustainability and enabling the system that include human and environmental externalities yeah, um, into their physical operations, then we're designing frameworks that can be adopted on different levels. And that that's like a circular nature for economies. And that's how we kind of like have a better return on investment when we can show investors like, well, here is actually how we get from utilizing the sustainable practices um, or maybe this is how we can this is how we are quantifying the economic impact of yeah. integrating environmentally sustainable practices into our business not only are we doing things like closing the racial wealth gap or having positive socioeconomic impact but it then also doesn't become difficult for investors to get behind, but it doesn't become difficult for legislators to also get behind in making that a part of their governing framework as well.
2: Yeah, it seems it, it seems like there's two sort of strategies that typically get used, I don't I don't know if you feel like either of them when they're working, but one is, you mm-hmm. know, just prohibition, right? Like I'm in New York, we've banned the use of plastic bags, right? We just say you can't yep. do it, right? So you gotta find another solution, or, or if you choose to do it, you know, well, that's prohibition. Fine. The, the yeah. other one is, you know, is actually putting putting a dollar value on the externality, right? So we say we're going to put in a carbon mm-hmm. tax or, mm-hmm. um, you know, we're going to have some kind of, we're going to directly or indirectly reflect the the social cost that your business practice is putting on, you know, government or society and you're going to have to pay for it in some way, shape, or form either through a tax or a use fee or, mm-hmm. um, you know, something like that. I mean, do you feel like those programs or those approaches to kind of realizing the cost or, or, making sure that businesses are really considering the impact of the practices they're using, are either those particularly useful or how how do you see those playing out?
3: I think that starts at the federal level. So we just rejoined the Paris climate agreement and from the top down, once again, now like we have new management (laughs) for the United States (laughs) and now management is going to tell us like, here are my values. Here's what I believe in. And the rest of the states are kind of expected to follow suit in some way. So when it comes to, not just climate but sustainability which goes hand in hand there's always intersections in everything then here are the benchmarks that we we expect from each one of you states and then from there it's broken down and it's affecting all different industries and i think once that happens or if that happens then that's when we can kind of like see more changes along that line it's either that or one thing that i like to like I like to say to other cannabis entrepreneurs who I mentor is even when it comes to social equity, social equity plans and being able to apply as applicants, I tell them just operate as though you don't know that you're going to get a social equity plan Mm -hmm. or that you're even going to be accepted into it. So you need to fundraise regardless. You need to get your business together regardless. You need to get your all these other things together regardless. So similarly, kind of within the cannabis space, if we're just making it a part of our frameworks regardless of what government says, regardless of what even kind of like consumers are saying in some sense, we're pushing the industry forward in the direction that we want to see it. And that's historically how we've done things in cannabis. We do things first and not even just cannabis, but we do things first and then, you know, the law catches up afterwards. So go ahead and start integrating these types of practices into your business. And then from there, people will catch up eventually, maybe.
2: (laughs) Well, it seems like, and it's, I mean, on one level, it's, it, it's probably a good long term strategy, meaning I think the general trend, or at least the hope of the trend is that these things are going to become more and more kind of required in mm-hmm. the industry. So if you can figure these things out now and develop them as your standard practices, when when they do become required and the playing field changes, you're going to have a strategic advantage because that's going to be naturally part of your DNA. You're going to be able exactly. to do it versus, you know, your competition who, you mm-hmm. know, is now going to have to start implementing these things. It's going to take them time. They're not going to be nearly you'll as efficient. Be
3: authority on it. You'll be able to yeah. speak to these other businesses about it. And on top of that, I've noticed across the board within cannabis, we don't really have a gold standard for anything. Well, yeah. So even when it comes to testing, it's state by state. We don't have a gold standard of like, nope, across the the board, this is not where we're accepting in our products. And because we fail to have these things because of prohibition at the federal level, and like things not coming from the top down from management in correct ways, then we have this hodgepodge of some people with sustainable practices, some not some people with kind of like thinking about the future and some kind of like, well, how can we just play the short game versus being invested in the long game?
2: Yeah. And I guess, do you feel like, are there businesses that you've seen out there right now that are doing this particularly well? Any good examples that, that you know, people can look to in terms of how they're incorporating these practices into their day-to-day operations?
3: They're all hemp farms. <laughs> they're yeah. all hemp farms. And that's even where I've learned so much about regenerative soil and kind of even more sustainable practices that can be utilized with hemp. But one of my favorite is Hudson Hemp in upstate New York. I consider myself a part of the Hudson family. I shout them out. They're cool people. But I guess like there are very few and even I think they're called Calyx containers. They're biodegradable plastics as well. There's just uh-huh. a few companies here and there. And if you search for them, they are kind of needles in the haystack, but they're there. And there are a few. Com- there, they're going to be the companies that people then turn to in the future. Like, hey, can we utilize your packaging since we realize that they now meet these new mandates that we need to we need to follow, or because we realize that we actually want to be more uh, sustainable or implement sustainable practices within in our businesses. So let's turn to these people who have already been doing it, and even what's the name of the uh, crutch cards? Okay. it's hemp made business cards that and they give you kind of like perforated ends on on the end of the business cards because one thing i've definitely seen in cannabis is my business card being ripped up to be a filter (laughs) and (laughs) (laughs) it hurts (laughs) but at the same time i'm like oh well there's crutch cards like here are alternatives that are hemp made that are um, good for the environment and i also wanted to like touch on kind of like people that I stand within the environmentalist economic economic space. So there's Professor Jeremy Rifkin and Dr. Robert Bullard. Professor Rifkin wrote several books and hosted like several documentaries about the emergence and convergence of the third industrial revolution, which is already here. We have renewable energy resources such as solar, wind, energy, uh, autonomous vehicles, and we have uh, fast communication internets like 5G that are all connected on the internet of things and which has created this seamless interconnectivity between our ever-changing society and the environment, which is heavily impacted by our societies. So it's these people who even got me thinking about, oh, okay, how can we propose these types of practices within cannabis? Mm -hmm. These are new smart digital infrastructures that transform the way that we manage power and move economic life. And I started to think, okay, Cannabis definitely intersects with this conversation. It can build certain components even of of this new industrial revolution and should be a component of that because then that means even more opportunities for cannabis business owners and more innovation. Uh, But this pivot that I'm proposing, like we're discussing, requires a profound ideological and political shift towards sustainable practices. And because the emerging cannabis industry, like many politicians, make promises. There's often a difference between the job and the promise of jobs. There's a difference between economic development and the promise of economic development. Um, That's something that Dr. Bullitzer says says a lot. And so how do we get from promises to actually ensuring positive socioeconomic impact? And I think that's acting on our own ahead of government, implementing these practices into our, what not even just our, but. Implementing these practices and these beliefs into the core foundation of your business's values and beliefs, like along every step of the the process of whatever your business is, how can I be more sustainable? Do I do more video calls versus driving everywhere? Mm -hmm. And it's, it's little things to big things like, okay, do we reduce water usage? Like I mentioned earlier, do we switch to LED lighting? Like, what are the ways that we can save energy? When you start thinking about how can I be a lot more sustainable at all these different levels, you also find ways to cut costs and keep costs lower, as well as being able to just r- reduce your carbon footprint.
2: Yeah, it's interesting because on, on one hand, there's the, you know, let, let's make the cannabis industry more sustainable by, you know, putting our products in, you know, hemp packaging and, uh, you know, use hemp paper and things like that. But then the bigger play is really just looking at hemp's application on a m- much broader level throughout mm. all sorts of industries and, you know energy use and, and all these things i mean i guess what are your kind of top initiatives right now the areas that you think can really move the needle on some of these things think or things things that you would like to see change um, you know either the you know in use of of you know hemp related products or the cannabis industry specifically what what would be your top 3
3: <laughs> because i have so many thoughts it's like yeah i'm like man give,
2: give me three like, that you were most interested in then right
3: so i was asked on another podcast if um like what were my favorite strains and i'm like wow why did uh, you yeah. ask that like all <laughs> strains are created equal um <laughs> so, like So hemp can be very useful to biological productivity. Like it reduces soil erosion. It captures carbon dioxide quickly. Remnants can be used to regenerate the soil. It supports sustainable farming. I I would like to see hemp just utilized more in these areas. And that, I think, is one component. Another is the creation of these kind of innovation labs, to some extent, where we're doing research beyond medical or medicinal applications mm-hmm. and even beauty applications, we have enough like hemp shampoo at this point, like, and random hemp products that don't even belong <laughs> or should, or shouldn't necessarily even have hemp in them. But you know, like okay do what you want some type of creation of American labs, <laughs> because I feel okay. that Israel has its own thing going on
0: uh-huh.
3: um, that I've gotten to witness, but can't say a lot about, but there isn't anything here. And so if even if we wanted to utilize some technologies that are in place, or that exists already, I'm not sure how that's going to play out. Because I often see that when it comes to practices that were implemented in other countries, we're hard pressed to implement them here. So it's like, oh, well, we have to then create and do all that stuff here in order for it to even be deemed as true to some sense, like where we have to test everything that someone else has already done in another country and who's further along in this conversation. So some creation of these innovation labs where, and and pairing them with universities even, that's definitely a dream of mine, pairing these innovation hubs with universities where students who are fresh in the mind and who are like, hey, I just had a thought that I wanted to create this thing. Okay, you can come into the innovation lab and create that or try to create that or ask the questions, the needed questions of how do I even get there? And I would say both of the top two, I guess.
2: And are are there specific topics that you want them to really dig into? Or is this part of the strength of these things is that you don't actually kind of give focus you just let people explore what they want to explore and in there lies the innovation
3: there are definitely some topics that I would like to explore but people have to pay me for those ideas so I'm not <laughs> going to say them <laughs> I love it um, there are definitely some copyrighted ideas and then on the other side of that like yeah there should be an area of focus that would apply to like multiple uses. And then there are other, other applications where it's like, you have to have an ma- imagination here. You, yeah. you got to figure out other ways to go about meeting this problem or solving this problem. And that's where, you know, you kind of like let people create, you let people innovate. And the thing about it is that there's no new idea underneath the sun. So As I talk about this, there are other people who I hope are listening who are nodding their head like, yeah, or I had this idea about this thing, like find people to create it, like hit me up. Let's let's continue to to talk about this. And I think that the more that we find other people who are interested in these conversations, we realize we're not alone in our thoughts around this. And we can build mastermind groups where we can then put together resources to make them a reality and once again, act without the government.
2: Yeah. Sister Rogers, if people want to contact you to talk about some of these ideas, learn more about you and what you do, what's the best way to get your information?
3: Yeah, I'm on all platforms at Sister Rogers, spelled the black way, S-I-S-T-A-H-R-O-G-E-R-S. Um, that's my website as well. You can email me, info at sisterrogers.com. And yeah, thank you for having me. This is you're fun.
2: welcome. You're welcome. I'll make sure that all <laughs> those links and the handles and everything are in show notes. It'd be great. We appreciate it. Thank you. That's it for this episode of Thinking Outside the Bud. Be sure to subscribe using your favorite podcast app so you don't miss our future episodes. See you next time.
1: You've been listening to Thinking Outside the Bud with business coach Bruce Eckfeld. To find a full list of podcast episodes, download the tools and worksheets, and access other great content, visit the website at thinkingoutsidethebud.com. And don't forget to sign up for the free newsletter at ThinkingOutsideTheBud.com forward slash newsletter.
2: This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c com.